Hey folks, welcome to The Office Hours. I am Dr. C, and Barry and I are joined with another very special guest this week, Dr. Howard Williams. Sir, if you would please introduce yourself and let people know who you are and what you're about. Hello everybody. Yes, I'm. Uh, my job title is Professor of Archaeology in the Department of History and Archaeology at the University of Chester in the UK. Hello everyone. <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, very exciting and um, uh Howard, uh, if I may call you Howard, has uh, yes, of course. Gra- gracious. I always get weird when people call me Doctor Cruz. It's like uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, has graciously uh, you know carved out some time for us to talk about something that is um, persistent and ongoing, and that is misconceptions about Vikings. Yes. <laughs> this seems to be, um, go, you know, going back to even like you know the cartoons of Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd Absolutely. and the Viking helmet and all that kind of stuff. It <laughs> is one of those things that I don't think we pay a whole lot of attention to, but is rather ubiquitous, right? You find this stuff I, everywhere. Absolutely, it's everywhere, and and it it affects um, almost every part of our. You know, culture, wherever you may be, in so many different ways. Whether you're in, uh, you know, in parts of Europe or you're parts of Africa, South America, you know, it, it, you can't escape the Vikings, and they are they are both fun and fearsome, and uh, and and they they take on many different forms. And it's no new thing. I mean, we've been reinventing the Vikings since the Viking Age in many ways. Since mm-hmm. the uh, uh, 10th and 11th centuries, people were creating their stories about their deeds and their 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 their, 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 their escapades that have spilled into written sources or traditions that go into written sources in the 13th century is you know icelandic sagas are one of the oldest vernacular storytelling traditions we have um at least in europe and then of course with um the 17th 18th 19th century all manner of new kinds of vikings and nationalist fantasies about the vikings and the 20th 21st century up to date from you know cartoons to mm-hmm. um various people on dodgy marches you know we have the full range and and we have we, we have to contend with this. It's an interesting yeah. part of conversations across disciplines, and uh, we we can we, we can use it to have um, interesting conversations about the use and misuse of the past. Mm-hmm. And for me, as an early medievalist, it's um, I kind of love and hate the Vikings because you can't. Everybody's heard of the Vikings, but they perhaps haven't heard of all the other exciting things I study and research. Um, sure. And Would so you I kind what? of. Well, I, do, I I study okay. So I study early medieval Britain mainly. Um, so the the kingdoms of of that become England that coalesce into England. Uh, we we've tended to call that Anglo-Saxon England and various other parts of northern and western Britain. So early medieval Wales uh, and also bits of Ireland. And so I also work on early medieval Scandinavia and the peoples that become the Vikings, or we call them the Vikings. So I, I do sort of the stuff before and up to the Viking Age. Um, but you know, um, when I'm teaching, when I'm talking, everyone's heard of the Vikings. So uh, that's why I say I love them and hate them is because, you know, you can't escape them. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and so looking, so this is interesting. And, and what I was ex- super excited to have you on is because you are closer to ground zero, as it were, when it comes to the origin of um, this, this perception, uh, the, the actual historical peoples um, coming from obviously not where you are, but a little up the road, so to speak, in, in Northern Europe. Um, Absolutely. The whereas here in the United States, you know, we have a very weird relationship with cultural and ethnic identities. Um, one of my favorite uh, scholars is uh, Dr. Stuart Hall, who is you know one of the founders of cultural studies, as we understand, which I'm sure you're probably familiar with as like part of the New Left and all those folks. Um, yes. And so his idea of he was specifically referring to diasporic peoples, and obviously diasporic folks are, for those not familiar, people who are forcibly removed or have to remo- uh, leave their homeland for um, usually external circumstances, uh, economic refugees, genocide, things like that. But in generally speaking, when it comes to migration and generations of removal from a 
homeland, there is a temptation to reconstruct a mythologized version of the past. And sometimes it's innocuous. Sometimes yeah. it's a matter of like, oh, uh, people go to Oktoberfest uh, around here uh, because it's the one day of the year that they're German, yeah. right? Um, or St. Patrick's Day, which is weird. I'm, I, I am Catholic. St. Patrick's Day yeah. does have meaning for me, but yeah. whatever, I get it. You know, getting a little drunk and dying the river green is not the end of the world. Um, yeah. But with Vikings in particular, yeah. they have become a part of this sort of reconstructed, mythologized version of European history. Um, which the term European history in and of itself is very loaded, right? Yes. The idea of yes. where does where does Europe begin, where does it end, and uh, how anachronistic are we being? Uh, and and then saying that it's universal. I'm sorry, you were going to say something. No, I was I was going to say the challenge we have with the Vikings, or th- th- which is a a term is a modern term. It's a 19th century term for a host of different peoples and a diasporic phenomenon. Um, but you know we we still use it because otherwise you you just spend half an hour talking about terminology but you know the problem with the vikings is that they are both claimed as ancestors and enemies that your ancestors may have combated against so Mm -hmm. within the european nationalisms and england is one example of that the vikings are claimed as ancestors of danes that settled of norse people that settled indirectly via say ireland but they're also claimed as well look at our great kings who forged a forged their nation in spite despite the vikings and and many parts of Europe do that dance of claiming them and uh, claiming victories and 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 uh, supremacy over them, um, and that is a re- often has religious and uh, racial ethnic dimensions mm-hmm. to it. And then, of course, you have this mixture that, uh, in, I think, I get a sense from a North American perspective, people want to use them in competing claims to indi- indigeneity mm-hmm. and of diaspora. So you can you can play this game that I think people it's not in, it's not very logical. You can claim that it's something indigenous to be a viking or a viking descent and something diasporic that you are part of a a movement which is and then fantasies about when that happened and people claiming and making up all sorts of ludicrous ideas that the vikings got to minnesota in the 12th century or whatever it is (laughs) you know but but, you know you know it's it's so difficult and you can't easily denounce something that is so illogical and and is so heartfelt and it mixes up ideas of paganism ideas of proto-christianity mm-hmm. so you can you can claim it from many different religious angles um and and therefore the vikings can be everything to everybody and simultaneously in the same almost in, you can hold in your head i think a lot of people today holding ahead all those contradictory ideas about the vikings at the same time so it's very difficult to pin down and say oh we can myth bust the vikings because the vikings didn't do x and y they did something else and suddenly you find that, that something else you've tried to you know, put forward as a, a better or more factual view of the Vikings gets co-opted by new fantasists and new stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And so I suppose it's a movable feast of madness, which is the Viking Age and the Vikings. And, and we inherit all of this, whether we go to the cinema or whether we're looking at comic books or or whether we're just, uh, you know, in the airport foyer picking up a, a, a cuddly little Viking sort of, uh, ob- you know, mm-hmm. cuddly toy to take back from Norway or something. You know, it's everywhere. It's commercialized. It's you know, it's, it's there. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that metaphor, uh, uh, a movable feast of madness. Um, that's, that's great. Um, well, and, and so, but so let's then tie it into pop culture because that's one of the ways yeah. that these misconceptions spread. And actually I noticed that you're wearing a shirt. This is Mr. Baggins, which I thoroughly yes, appreciate. Yes. 
this is my my mr men mr baggins one so yes it's a yes i mean so yeah i mean it links into our i mean that's a good way in isn't it because the the vikings appear mm-hmm. in our sci-fi they have mm-hmm. appear in there's outer space vikings you know mm-hmm. you have many of the barbarian hyper masculine barbarians of say say the star trek world the mm-hmm. klingons are at least part inspired by the vikings i'm not going to get into trekkies are very passionate about the details of things like that but They're at least i think people. i'm right <laughs> I think I'm right in saying they at least have Viking tropes within their mm-hmm. universe, and certainly the re- the Star Trek Discovery repackaging has this obsession with you know Stobacor, this Valhalla for the mm-hmm. Vikings. So you have outer space Vikings, you have this worldly Vikings that that uh, exist in a fantasy world, a sci-fi um, um, mm-hmm. in the, the 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 Tolkien universe is heavily influenced by not simply Scandinavian Norse, mm-hmm. but also Finnish, Welsh, and mm-hmm. other stories and mythologies. And, of course, we have then movies and stories about the Viking Age in various mixtures of mythology, the Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, through to films that are trying to claim authenticity over something that may have happened, may have happened in the mm-hmm. 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th centuries. <laughs> it's a real mash. It, and so dovetailing off of that, that Tolkien connection a little bit, because, you know, uh, Tolkien was a linguist who had a, you know, a very uh, thoughtful and, and deep understanding of how languages are formed and created and, um, you know, invented his own for the Lord of the Rings universe uh, for Middle Earth and that kind of thing. But he was not immune to these sort of grand narrative misconceptions of, uh, of that history as well. I mean, he referred to in his... Um, in one of his letters where he is, you know, decrying Hitler, he also talks about the great Northern spirit that this man, that Hitler has like contorted. And it's like, okay, I'm glad we're anti-Nazi. That's great. Um, let's, let's stick on that phrase. Great Northern spirit (laughs) for a second, right? Because it is rather, um, homogenizing, uh, a a bit. And, and then of course, you know, he, he borrowed from sagas to create, you know, the the mythos, particularly for like the dwarves and things like that. Um, and going into the Hobbit and and the Lord of the Rings and, and all the other stuff, but going then into sort of modern day iterations of this, let's talk about, um, what, something that's been a, a big, uh, uh, disseminator of this uh, perception, and that is the show Vikings itself. And in particular, yeah. it has a spinoff of uh, Vikings Valhalla, which I'm not familiar with, but um, I'm, I'm happy to learn about. So yeah. uh, what? So the show Vikings was on, I think, the History Channel, I want to say? That's right. As a part of their ongoing war against good information? Um, yeah. <laughs> right? The same people who brought you ancient aliens. <laughs> well, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> right? So... Yeah. Um, Okay, so so Vikings, for those who are not familiar, takes place in, I believe, a fictional city, Kattegat. It is, right? it is, yeah. Right, yeah. and it, it borrows heavily from things that are generally considered um, historicized myth, like Ragnar Lothbrok, the Great Heathen Army, those sort of things, uh, which is just to boil five seasons down into uh, a couple of sentences. Um, uh, Ragnar Lothbrok, the, the Viking explorer, uh, coming to England and then basically starting off the uh, war or the, the series of conflicts between um, the Scandinavian countries and, uh, and England as well. Right? Yes. Um, yes, I think that's a fair summary. <laughs> I think uh, for me, it's again, a blessing and a curse that we are at the first point blessed at one level that we have a popular reinterpretation of the Vikings that is, has 
debunked some of the myths in, in its own storytelling. And I think that Vikings has done very well to be informed and inspired by some of the latest academic thinking. And they've paid a lot of attention to language. They've paid a lot of attention to the material world. And they're not trying to show you, it's not a documentary, it's a drama. And it, it plays fast and loose with what we know happened in the late 8th, 9th and early 10th centuries, conflating events down from probably seven, eight generations to one, two generations to, to make the story have pace of course they're discovering um you know discovering greenland and then parts of the north american co continent in the um you know a, you know a whole sort of half century earlier it's all um messed up and confused to have harold finehead dying sorry spoiler here dying mm -hmm. in battle facing the you know alfred the great and his son i mean that you know it's it's ludicrous at one level and yet at another level it does a wonderful job of catch capturing the spirit of the sagas written down in the 13th century because it mashes up bits of mythology you meet mm -hmm. the gods and the characters meet gods and and legend and um a material world that's it is immersive uh, to a convincing degree and they do draw on a lot of written sources so it's creative it's not trying to be true to any mm -hmm. single source it's mashing up sagas but it is. They did consult with a lot of archaeologists about how things worked. And I think they did. They got a lot wrong. The costumes are all crazy. And a lot of the battle scenes just make no sense on any criteria you throw at them. <laughs> but there is a sense. You, you, you're taken on a journey through an, a world where you see settlements, you see slaves, you see farmers, you see traders, you see people with ambiguous gendered identities, people from all over the old world so to use that old terminology you see people coming from china and from the middle east and of course it's a it's a bit of an orientalist narrative of you know it's very it still sticks within that very old-fashioned framework that we've inherited from the 19th century but it does at least capture something for new audiences of yeah. that that viking world so at one level I, I i i'm really critical of it and there's so many details that are just you know why 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 did they have to do that and yet at another level it's doing something really effective for us i use stills in teaching i use and i've actually published some articles about the way the show re represents funerals um because while there's no single funeral they get right in terms of what we know happened from the archaeological evidence in uh, um, viking age funerals they at least for the first time show us more than one funeral like mm -hmm. every other film and every other um media representation of viking funerals is uh, let us honor him fire a flaming arrow into the boat it goes kirk douglas heads off <laughs> over the waves you know and that is that has dominated a generation and people want to die like a viking today and have sure. their ashes put on little boats and and this is now our trope this is our viking death way um and yet of course at least the tv show vikings they had to do that they have at least three burning boats i think one two i think three um but they also do so much else so yeah. um you do get to get a sense of a world that was complex, a world that had was changing, where the settlement grows. People change their hairstyles. Some of mm -hmm. them are ludicrous and fantasy. But I suppose that's why I stand by Vikings insofar as rather than rolling my eyes every time they uh, mess up a brooch style or um, sure. have all these ridiculous leather armor that would never have existed. Um, I, I prefer to say, actually, there's so much we can work with, not because mm -hmm. it's right, but because it's, it starts a new conversations for a new generation uh, um, the, who are never going to have encountered this before. So I think we're in a good place in some ways. <laughs> so, and, and just, and that's a good point, just because it's not accurate doesn't mean it can't be productive to some yeah. end. Um, that's my and, feeling about it. 
and and so to the point of funerary rites, uh, you know, I um, it obviously I you know a Viking funeral is illegal here, quote unquote, right? As they put it, uh, you can't put me in a boat and then um, uh, shoot an arrow at me and touch my fire. But my, I've had this discussion with my wife. What I would like to do, inspired by these motifs, is to have some close friends of mine steal a rich person's yacht, soak me in uh, Jack Daniel's old number seven, and then set me on fire and destroy the yacht in the process. And I feel like that would be a bit of a public service. Um, I think it would be a public service. It would be a statement. It would be memorable for yes. everyone involved. He even exactly. served us in death. That's right. Um, mine is a life of service to the public. No. Uh, so just, you know, uh, <laughs> destroying rich people's yachts one at a time. Um, no. So, but along this line, though, of, of productivity, I think, you know, for myself, uh, because I started watching the show years ago, I think right before I got into grad school, um, you know, it gave me a lot of things to look up on Wikipedia. And, yeah. and Wikipedia is what it is, right? But at least that's a gateway to other stuff and to ask questions. And there's a, there's a variety of, of pop culture that I really enjoy that serves that sort of focus. So like one of my favorite bands is um, Sabaton, which is I think out of, where are they from? Are they Dutch? Swedish? Not sure. Somewhere in there. They're uh, from Northern Europe, but they do historical fiction in their songs and yeah. explicitly for the stated purpose of getting people to look up stuff, right? To go take it a step yeah. further. So you can't take it as a gospel truth. And obviously with things like this, like you're saying, they're playing fast and loose with a lot of this, with a lot of the timeline. Um, then it's, and I just got to, cause I was started rewatching the show. I didn't finish it. I, I think I'm towards the end of like season four or something. And they just come to North Africa, right? With yeah. uh, Buren coming to um, the uh, serving in the, uh, in the mirror. And I thought, to your point, this is getting a little orientally. This is a <laughs> oh, it, uh, that is one of the worst bits for me. Actually, I hate yeah. that scene, and they have this weird cannibalism going on, and you're going, yeah. "What the heck?" Yeah. You know, I don't know why they mm -hmm. went down that route. And there's other moments of utter cringe. I'm not trying to say there aren't moments of you know where to use yeah. that overused phrase problematic. There are some really, I mean, yeah. even in season one where they have, um, was it, no, it was early beginning of season two where they have a um, one of the Vikings is captured, who is mm -hmm. was a monk who was captured and became a heathen Viking. Yeah. And yeah. then they, the, the West Saxons capture him and crucify him. And I'm going, what? Why? Why did you do that? I mean, that's like the one kind of, anyway, there's, there's so much to unpick <laughs> there about there the mind of the creator and why they were driven to do that. And, you know, people, academics were just going, what the why why did they do but then there's other bits mm -hmm. you think okay that's quite showing the cruelty and the the otherworldliness of, of of a different mindset of sure. that i think are really quite you know disturbing um and, mm -hmm. and good uh, in that sense of making people think not good because i think people should be that way but because it makes people mm -hmm. think about the you know a, a society that driven by fate and violence if that is the way it was which i don't think it exactly was but you know hey so that's a that's an interesting point that i, I want to use to dovetail into something else um and that is this idea of the cruelty because that is something that becomes yeah. romanticized quite a bit we romanticize a lot of the worst people in history um and i say people not specifically, but peoples, right? Uh, ways of life that are like, people will fetishize the agrarian life. It's hard. It is hard yep. to live off the land, right? There's yes. nothing romantic about, you know, having to wake up every morning at four o'clock to do the things that will keep you alive for the next few weeks, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking as the son of a farmer, like that's a, that's a hard road to hoe, so to speak. Um, but it does get sort of trickled down into this, um, like you say, uh, uh, the, the the broader public, it gets fragmented. Of course, media becomes uh, 
divorced even from the context that it originally comes from. So yeah. not e so like if Vikings or Vikings Valhalla is removed from the actual historical content, that show then becomes even further fragmented as it uh, goes throughout the public and through the through the internet and that kind of thing. Yeah. To where we see it being used by some rather unfortunate and unsavory people, mm -hmm. right? Fascists, uh, yeah. neo Nazis, white nationalists of of broad sorts. Um, and so in particular, this idea of like a Valhalla, uh, where there's somewhere to go after they die, that they'll be rewarded for the violence they've created, um, as well, or to use Richard Spencer, uh, uh, his uh, phrase of a new Roman empire, which would be for all kinds of white people. Because as we all know, the Mediterranean is just universally white. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean, yeah. at one level, the frustration... Sorry, you were f going on with that point. I'll shut up. Oh, uh, <laughs> ju just that um, there is this co-opting, right? Yes. And so, and they're not interested in the source material that things like Vikings gets right because Vikings does introduce a bit of a multicultural perspective to yeah. this otherwise what we would conceptualize as like just entirely white people, right? Um, it does so, a little bit, yeah. A little bit, and certainly, sure. And certainly where they tip the... Whether in Vikings Valhalla, the spin-off series, which there's been one season, which is like they, they concluded six, I think it was six seasons of Vikings, and then they jumped a century. And the idea is we're in early 11th century, um, the end of the Viking Age. So they, Vikings Valhalla, therefore, picks up a story with the great grandsons or the grandsons of the people we, we were seeing at the end of the last season. Still conflating time, but and the idea is that we're seeing the same settlement of Katagat, but now a massive trading site, and it's ruled by an earl who is um, um, who is a mashup of various different female and male names. Um, um, so she is, she, she is a sort of Estrid, uh, uh, Hawken. So she's given a surname where there wouldn't have been surnames in that period. But the idea is she's Hawken is a, a repeated name of Jarls of Landa in northern uh, northern central Norway through the uh, uh, 10th and 11th centuries. So so she's been and people were getting very ex exercised about this character. And that's why I think the um, the, the uh, and because her name is Estrid, she's not pretending to be a man. She is a, a female in an aristocratic lead role, and this 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 flipped a lot of people, saying, "Oh, look, you're finally going too far. It's political correctness gone mad, woke agenda, da da da, ruining my ruining the show. I'd never have watched anyway, but now I have to watch. <laughs> now I have to get angry about it on the internet yes. because there's a woman of color who is Swedish. She's a Swedish actor, and uh, um, and yet." And she's the best thing in it, actually, in terms of mm. her acting and her role. I was, um, don't want to ruin the plot, but it's sad to see what happens to her in the in the first season. But the point is, yes, it's about it's about the it, the show is it's slowly through the seasons. It's it's not showing a very nice world, but it's showing mm. a world in which there are representations of people of colour and people from outside of Scandinavia are also white in Scandinavia. And in that regard, it is telling a, a truth that we are finding more and more in the archaeological and historical record. And yet, this is really causing problems for those that want to co op and create this fantasy world that there was a time and a place in Scandinavia where everyone at least looked the same and the same mm -hmm. meaning or not of colour in any regard. Even right. though we've, and this is nothing new, it's not that I say, oh, I'm just inventing some new archaeological and historical evidence. We've known for, cent you know, literally since the yeah. earliest studies of this period that there were long distance trade contacts. The whole period yeah. is defined by trade movement of people at lowest mm -hmm. level, but also higher status people. Right. So, um, 
Mm. You know, it's it's really interesting to show how we we're in a situation where we can't stop people fantasizing about the the Viking Age, but we have so much evidence at our disposal to combat that 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 naive and simplistic racialized view. And TV sure. shows are not telling us a, a lie. They are show they're they're fictionalizing something, extending something, pushing, mm-hmm. but they're showing things that that are part of the story we can now tell. If that makes sense, that does well. And and so that reminds me of something that again I've learned from heavy metal, uh, and that was <laughs> um, uh, the group of I guess they would be Viking equivalents called the Varangian. If I yeah, got the Varangians, that name right. yes. Yeah. And they went, I want to say, if correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, but uh, through up through China and Mongolia. Is that I don't their... know if we have conclusive evidence they got that far, but I mean, I've heard that said, but I mean, but the, they certainly got as far as Byzantium and then over to the Caspian Sea and the, perhaps the, the Aral Sea even. The supposition being that they moved over towards the east. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. To, to what extent, we don't know, but the, for the purposes of things like expanding trade. And I've, I've taken a look or two at what I would uh, hope are credible maps of like uh, maps of trade from Scandinavia on down through like uh, Northern Africa and, and things like that. And like, if you know anything about humans, where we go is with whom we reproduce. Um, <laughs> and so yeah. the idea then that like, I, I have to imagine, like in the minds of these people who are trying to co-opt this this uh, identity, are they assuming that oh, the Vikings spread all over, you know, these different parts of the world, never took wives, never took husbands, never, you know, sure. this out of the other, um, or anything, or begat any children uh, who would be anything less than pure alabaster, right? Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. So we have that. We have the. I mean, we even have. There's lots of different levels of colonialism playing out in our, those fantasies about the Vikings. There's the internal, nor the internal Fennoscandian uh, colonialism of ignoring the fact that the Sampni exist, that there are Sami people who are um, historically and uh, linked to uh, ancestral um, Finno-Ugric peoples living across Siberia. You know, they were in Scandinavia <laughs> too. So there's an internal colonial and racist mm-hmm. history within the Nordic nations that plays out if you only see. Scandinavia is full of European, Northern European white people. There's that problem. Then you have all the trade and connections that we have fully evidenced. And mm-hmm. you've got to imagine a world where somehow people were not moving with these objects. I mean, how did that, how can you imagine that? But anyway, that's mm-hmm. what you have to do if you want to somehow uphold this fantasy, this white fantasy. And then you have to think about the, the fact that actually we only, you know, the, the, the archaeological evidence and the historical evidence is only telling you snippets mm-hmm. of probably there were further voyages that were made, possibly, that we don't have records for so we are now getting hints of further voyages onto into north africa from sure. all sorts of odd and indirect sources of information including the dna of rodents uh, and and that suggesting that northern european connections may have been there as back as far as the viking age um and likewise we have going into central asia the silk the silk roads mm-hmm. the, the vikings were tapping into that and the other thing that really irks these these the, the supremacist narrative is that when we talk about the vikings the vikings were never called the vikings they mm-hmm. never existed as vikings they had no centralized coherent identity and if they had any identity it was never rooted in skin color or 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 even any other physical characteristic because the vikings is our catch-all term for a Mm. host of different peoples and not all of them were necessarily even north speaking because they would have been bilingual trilingual speaking a range of slavic languages because they had to talk to other people to trade unlike our society that frame linguistics in relation to 
you know, oh, well, you know, all this mm-hmm. kind of packaging we do. As, and I yeah. think that so, so it's all it's all when you start to pull it all apart, it gets messy as history is. And um, it's it's and yet still those tenacious tropes persist along those lines. I want to bring this back to something that happened actually recently. So as we record this, it is uh, May 17th and less than a week ago, there was a uh, shooting um, in Buffalo, New York by a uh, avowed white nationalist who was targeting black Americans at a grocery store. And he, in his manifesto, he references, he talks about religion a little bit. He himself does not espouse any particular uh, religious practice. He doesn't believe in a God or an afterlife or anything like that. Although he does uh, believe in the, uh, in the maintenance of what he referred to as Christian values and Christian principles. Um, and he also uh, concludes his, um, his manifesto with uh, the phrase, you know, good luck, God bless, and I'll see you all in Valhalla. Uh, which is an interesting um, phrase for someone who doesn't believe in an afterlife. But uh, this is another fingerprint of um, the sort of what here we'd call the Volkish movement um, of a contorted version of neo-paganism um, that took root in the United States in the ancient 1970s, um, <laughs> largely popularized by, by people claiming to be uh, Aryans and that kind of thing. Um, but it's also what also struck me about this is that uh, in his manifesto, he also argues that he's doing this for populist reasons. And that gets to this other idea, I think, of how we conceptualize uh, the governance of Scandinavian peoples at these times, going back to, like you said, earls uh, and the idea of nobility. It, I know that there have been uh, there's been discussions, or at least I've heard discussions, of um, these folks being more democratic, but I don't know to what extent that's true. So I, I'm curious as to you know what you can share with us about their own. Obviously, we're talking about several hundreds, uh, you know, several hundred years here. But like, what was the normative uh, form of governance here? Yeah. So I, I suppose ever since the 19th century in America, you've got this, and it's it's it's, it's manifest in Anglo-Saxonism. It's rep- it's represented in Nordic Northern Nordic obsessions we've seen this you know uh, filtering through and it has many modern really nasty manifestations of extremists who want to latch onto this idea of a, of a pure white northern past and and the thing the challenge for me is that it's rooted in not simply a government it's not simply in a racial it has a governmental and ecological you know all those romanticisms are packaged together including this idea of um we were always free until oppressed by someone else type narrative and 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 the, the ideas of proto-democracy which underpinned um, Icelandic, Nor- Norwegian, and Danish and Swedish democracies today are celebra- celebrated at home, but also are co-opted externally to mm-hmm. perpetuate this idea: "Ah, oh, the Vikings were free; even the women were free as long as they did what they were told." You know, they, they have it both ways. As again, right. it's having your cake and eating it too. You mm-hmm. know, it's 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 utterly this hyper-masculine, martial, violent, yet pure, noble, simple, freedom-loving, and Anglo. The idea of the Anglo-Saxon had that freedom before the Normans ruined it all and you know then we can blame the French or yes. that the, the northern nations had it all that way before Christianity came along there's various different versions of this victim culture this imposition on on these white people of external foreign uh, or non-white mm-hmm. um, um, totalitarianism and uh, English ideas of liberty 
and, and various Nordic versions of that are just still banging around. And I think that's one of the things that they tap into. And it's not necessarily religiously motivated. They're using metaphors, but a lot of it is to do with martial identity, weapon bearing, freedom loving, you know, and having a yeah. say, having a voice. They're playing this idea of being voiceless. So I think mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a massive package of, of delusions mm-hmm. that I think are coming together here that's not just about using metaphors of Valhalla they don't really even understand probably you know Mm. that this is a place where warriors go as if a warrior would do something as cowardly as attack um, unarmed people in the middle of a market which is the the ancient metaphor of what you've just what horrific acts have just been perpetrated Mm. you know no why would you do that what are you trying to gain from that you're a joker you'd be seen in ancient Norse society as someone outside of the law you'd be Mm. seen as someone outside of 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 conduct of, of noble conduct of proper warrior conduct you'd be seen as the clown and in some ways there's a parallel to what we're seeing these people people want to see them as somehow mad some mm-hmm. people want to see them as you know in a particular way but often this is driven by deep-seated ideas um mm-hmm. that are not easy to see as not you know they are they are ideological and they are racialized mm-hmm. but they are other things too these other traits of are coming in and i so i don't have an answer other than to say that what as academics we can do is to try and and i think this is nothing new i think academics have for the last since the second world war in particular have worked hard not always effectively and openly every book on the vikings will tell you about how the vikings were co-opted in the 1930s in germany mm-hmm. every book about the vikings will tell you something about how they're commercialized and yeah. used in on beer mugs and but they're, but they're st- yeah yeah football teams but also i think yeah. we have stopped short of properly addressing this and we're seeing it's someone else's problem as academics now i'm not saying that there's an easy answer but i think the more we can you know we can denounce ancient aliens but somehow also simultaneously <laughs> if it's not too hypocritical get behind some sure. of these popular manifestations sure. and not see them as all tainted but see them as potentially the places where reasonable people might go to mm-hmm. and while they'll see the crazies who have a meme of Ragnar Lothbrok travels from Ellis Ragnar Lothbrok on their website and and espouse this this hate mm-hmm. they'll also find a lot of people including people of a pagan faith Christian faith and other interest just reenactors people who like to larp uh, you know or whatever mm-hmm. uh, cosplaying a bit of a bit of fun and they find that there's those communities are not about those kind of beliefs and i feel that academics could learn a lot from the the, the norse pagan communities who have worked hard to you know to to mm-hmm. distance themselves from some of those pernicious yeah. tropes and 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 it's not about just saying let's not talk about the vikings uh, mm-hmm. it, it's about you know claiming those spaces i feel yeah. Of making sure that academics are accessing those spaces, talking to the people who are not uh, um, of that disposition so that they so that that whole community doesn't get avoid, uh, you know, get um, abandoned by informed educators. And I feel that some of my colleagues um, seem to think the way we do this is run away. And I think that's the problem is that we have such great museums, heritage sites, online resources. We have the materials with which to continue this fight against these extremists but i think we don't gain anything by just saying oh we're not doing that now because i'm afraid it will be just run overrun by those kind of those those fantasy ideas and so i i don't have a solution but i don't i know what isn't the answer and that is just giving up on the vikings and leaving it to the the loons um but but um you know i think we have a lot of positive case studies like we could talk about about how we go mm-hmm. about this, you know, through through online 
and um, through conversations with specific groups who are really into this stuff. So I, I think you're, you're absolutely getting at something that's very valuable to understand. And I just want to tie in a metaphor as we pull this to a close. Um, and that is that now, Howard, how, how many years have you been in the academy? Well, it depends how you count it. But I started my PhD in 95. Okay. So then you'll understand what I mean when I say that, uh, as I understand in my own experience, um, going higher in education is like going lower in the ocean. The fish get weirder. They get more specialized at one thing. And if you take them out of that context, they'll die a slow and horrible death. Um, <laughs> I feel like that most days. <laughs> that being said, you are a fish who is swimming in public waters. So yeah. where can people find you? How can they support you? And uh, if you have any other parting thoughts for us. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I'm, I'm not an outgoing person by nature. And I think many of the academics that are on these social media accounts, you know, we're, we're, we cringe at ourselves as we do these things. But I think we think it's important because we know people want to hear about this stuff. So, yeah, that's why I set up in 2013 a WordPress blog called Archeodeath, which I thought it sounded a bit funny and self-parodying and a bit metal, of which I, yeah. I don't think that's my how I look <laughs> and sound. But I thought, so, so there was a bit of self-deprecation built into that. They would sound like sort of Amonsul or something. Yeah, Archeodeath. You know, you sort of say in a deep <laughs> voice. But I did that in 2013 <laughs> as a sort of a bit of a laugh. And I'm on Twitter with handle, handle at HowardMRW, but with Archeodeath as the the, the Label. And likewise, I'm now on TikTok as of two years ago. So I'm doing mm -hmm. Archeodeath TikToks. And yeah. I don't just talk about death, uh, but I, and I do do a bit of history and mythology as well. But, uh, you know, I'm on, I'm trying to make myself out there. You know, I'm not a massive following, but just to sort of counter a few misunderstandings, give some, share some sites I go to, share some information, and uh, people seem to like some of it anyway. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about in just a moment as, we, as soon as we conclude this recording is archaeology archaeology of the future, looking at yes. pop sci-fi and, and, and that kind of thing. So I'm excited for that. Um, uh, Dr. Williams, thank you very much for coming on today. Um, and yeah, so people, if you would, you know, if you're interested in learning more about this, go find uh, uh, Dr. Williams's um, blog as well as, you know, on Twitter and on TikTok, certainly. All right, <laughs> folks, thank you for dropping by the office hours. Uh, we'll catch you next week.